Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, wherever you are, we are very fortunate tonight to have with us a special guest, C, who is joining us. And of course, my co-host, uh, Chaplain Julian Martin. And we are here again with the One Love podcast. You have joined us throughout the pandemic, um, interviewing people from all backgrounds. And today we have a special guest who has a very interesting story. Um, being myself as a chaplain and Julian being a chaplain, you can already have an idea what's coming through. And uh, of course, I want to say thank you to Julian for being there with us uh, throughout um, the pandemic and until now with the One Love podcast. Um, Julian, how have you been? Oh, you know, Habib, I'm doing great. And I just want to say uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is, whoever's tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. Um, so glad that you decided to give us a little bit of your time to come to our corner of the internet. And hopefully what you're going to hear next is going to bring a smile to your face because I know that our guest has, uh, has warmed my heart many times. So I'm looking forward to just reconnecting with him and hearing a bit about his story and sharing it with y'all. And um, I'm doing good, Habib. I'm doing good. Excellent. So, C, welcome to the show. How have you been during the COVID? Uh, I've been very good. Uh, I've been fortunate to uh, steer clear from uh, Mr. COVID-19. <laughs> um, he hasn't come to visit me, thank God, I'll knock on wood. Um, but, yeah, uh, everything's been good. Uh, work has been good. Family's good. Uh, everything's blessed. Lovely. So you have an interesting story that you will be sharing with our audience, but uh, in order to contextualize that, I was wondering um, if I'm right, I understand that you have a Guyanese background, but you were born in Canada and uh, you, you have even moved to the romantic capital of Canada. So you have all the great things uh, happening for you, but you, you, were you grew up some in a, in a space that maybe was challenging and you had to deal with those challenges what was it like growing up? Uh, for me, growing up um, was uh, interesting. My parents were born and raised in, in uh, Guyana in Buxton. Uh, my siblings were there as well. Um, Buxton is famous. Yes, it is. Yeah. So um, I was not born there. I was born in Canada. So I think they moved here in uh, 1973. And um, then they they had me shortly after when they moved to Canada. Um, so in that, I was uh, born in Little Italy, uh, downtown Toronto, midtown Toronto, I'd say. I think it was um, Sinclair area. And from there, my parents wanted to move to, uh, um, you know, I guess the suburbs. And we moved to the sticks out in uh, Vaughan. Um, growing up in Vaughan was good, but then unfortunately my parents, um, uh, you know, they, they, the road was getting a little bit rough um, and my parents um, kind of separated. So from that point is where I, I guess my mom uh, took the four of us that was with her and she moved into government housing in uh, the region of um, uh, Yorkdale, so Lawrence and uh, Bathurst area. Uh, it's it's a neighborhood that's quite. I'm sure you guys are quite familiar with. It's called Jungle, um, and um, yeah. But I still was uh, commuting back and forth from that area, Bathurst and Lawrence, to Vaughan Secondary School, 
and uh, yeah, um, my childhood, I guess, was marred by their separation. Um, it was a bit disappointing, but um, obviously you have to try and persevere and continue on um, and show love to both sides, and that's what I continue to do. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I'd seen a bit where I was living in the government housing and um, uh, it didn't really, besides little scuffles and, you know, getting into a little trouble like that, it didn't really have a major effect negatively on my childhood. Was, um, was Vaughn uh, incredibly diverse when you were growing up? Oh, I'm just wondering. What was that? What was that like? Was there a difference um, in the communities between, like, did you notice a difference in the communities between Toronto and Vaughan as far as demographics go? Um, when I moved up there, yeah, it was very diverse. There was, um, um, yeah, there was definitely a lot of diversity. And where I where I came from, it was um, predominantly uh, European, so it was um, Italian. In uh, Greek, like my babysitters on both either side of me were Italian and Greek. There was not a lot of um, African Americans, um, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of Europeans. So moving up to Vaughan, there was more diversity: East Indian, West Indian, um, Asian. Um, so yeah, I think the diversity in Vaughan uh, was was a little bit more. And so as, um, just to fast forward a little bit, so as Habib alluded to, uh, the reason why you're on this podcast is because you and I know each other. Yeah. A little bit ago. Yeah. Quite a while ago, but maybe you could um, skip a couple chapters. I know you mentioned there was some stuff that was rough for you, but what what happened and uh, how did you end up in a, in a place where you and I would cross paths? Right. Um... So uh, I was uh, married and working um, in a successful stream. I was in the supply chain industry, which I've still continued to be in up until today. And um, uh, we had two children. Um, I think at the time they were hmm, um, probably about four and six or seven and five. Uh, so yeah, I was just working, and um, I just had a friend, a longtime friend from high school, who I hadn't seen in a couple of years, who had contacted me. Um, just said, "Hey, you know what? I'm I'm not living in Toronto anymore, but I am living in uh, Florida. So um, you know, so then in conversation, I guess it came up that I was traveling to Florida with my whole family as well, which he was very familiar with." Um, because this is somebody who's, uh, you know, been very close to me and my family, my parents as well. So yeah, very like almost like a brother essentially. Um, so yeah, he called and uh, it was great to hear from him. So he um, said he'd meet me in Florida. So we met and we just chatted and he seemed like he was doing very good for himself, uh, pretty successful, um, had an uh, a baby on the way and um, you know everything was was great so we had a good visit 
met the family or I guess reacquainted with the family. And I went back to Toronto again. And then uh, he had called again and said, hey, I'm living in Virginia. Um, I also reside in Virginia is what I should say. So um, I was like, oh, that's awesome. And he said, you know, do you want to come down and visit? So I came down and visited him several times. And in my commute, or sorry, in my visit, I realized that he had a successful professional business, but he had a, a, a side business that was illegal, was um, uh, the a marijuana distribution business. And um, I, I think uh, I didn't uh, weigh or I didn't um, maybe, yeah, I think weigh is a proper word. I, I didn't don't think I weighed the potential consequences of, of um, being in the presence of him in this operation. Um, so yes, I traveled with him while he was meeting various customers, various people. I, I helped him uh, move uh, some of his product and um, uh, I think what had happened was another friend of ours had come down or had, so I was just going back and forth, hanging out and I guess just enjoying fun times, essentially is how you would classify it. Uh, but one of my other friends went down there and stayed for a, a little bit longer. And um, the three of us, uh, the last time I went, um, three of us were there. And um, I just remember the morning that they had left to, go and distribute. And um, I think that was around nine o'clock in the morning. And I was wondering like why they were taking so long because I think two hours had passed and something was odd about it. And, and nobody, like, there was no phone calls or anything. And I think I had called them several times and I, I did not get a response. So long story short, um, somebody was watching them and somebody had, um, I guess, contacted the police to say that they s suspected that there was some illegal activity happening in this, in a location that they were visit frequenting, and uh, they had got arrested at the location. Um, then they came to his his uh, residence and arrested me at the uh, same time. Um, so when that happened. Um, I think I was in shock, to be honest with you. I was in complete shock, and um, I, I just shocked at just how serious it suddenly was, or what was the shock that you got caught, or what was the shock? The shock was just yeah that I got caught that this well because there was uh, there were signs before. I don't know if that's something that you guys believe in, but uh, the go with your gut is something that um, it's like a, a saying that I try to live by. And even before I left for the last uh, ride, I guess, um, there was something odd about that trip that made me feel sick to my stomach. And my mom 
had called me and said she doesn't want me to go this time. Not that she knew I was, you know, um, or my me and my friends were involved in something. Um, she had just had a vibe. And then I had a weird vibe. And then the last thing was my father called me the day before I left and said, uh, you know, you you don't need to go. You've gone like three or four times. Why are you going? And um, yeah, I don't know. It was just, I, I was, it was just surreal. It was like really odd. And just, I just could not believe that I had signs and there was more signs, but I had signs that were telling me that something was wrong and I, I didn't follow it. And I usually I do. Um, it's like, you know, that feeling in your gut. So, yeah, I think the shock the spirit nudging you. <laughs> yeah, and that's your yeah, conscience like, whispering to you. Yeah, exactly. And I I feel Yeah, it was just I was just in complete shock at the circumstance that I had got myself into. And it wasn't anybody's fault because uh even my friend um who I got in trouble with, he had told me before, hey, you know, like, you don't got to come down here. Um, you know, you have to think that you have a, a wife who he knew and my two kids who he knew, um, you know, just, you know, I just never, I never processed the ramifications. And, and that's the honest truth. Um, I never thought, oh, yeah, you could get in trouble, you can get caught for just being in the presence. And I think it was just fun. Um, Money. Right, in the states too for drugs. Whoop. Yeah, it oh, wasn't scary stuff. So you were looking at a lot of time. Yeah, uh, the the saving grace for me was the fact that I did not have a a record. Um, like I'd been in trouble before, but nothing of serious consequence. And it was always when I was it was all when I was younger. The fact that I had no um, prior history was really a saving grace for me and for all of us really yeah. um so first yeah it was, yeah first time and i remember being down there and um after it all sank in i remember being you know traveling to court and the the uh guards were like uh, are you from canada eh? what what are what's a canadian like you doing down here eh? and they were making a lot of fun of us because we were canadian um telling us oh you, you hope you guys know you're in some serious trouble eh like it was and it wasn't uh you know them trying to loosen up the environment the tenseness it was them making a mockery of us really so they, yeah they were making they were making fun of us so um and you know it was a learning lesson uh, because all of that stuff sunk into my head and made me realize this is not a joke this is very serious so uh some people have excitement about these types of rides and this was like the worst tenure of my life essentially like ten years. Was, uh ten years. sorry not 10 years sorry tenure oh tenure okay yeah yeah it was i was only there for uh my my circumstance or my uh uh surveillance i guess was um three years it was um pretty much two years and nine months if i have it correctly i'm sure that felt like 10 years 
for for yourself and for your wife and for your loved ones who were who were who were really worried about you. And it wasn't yeah. easy to get back here, right? It wasn't, or, or was it easy? Maybe I have two questions. Sorry, I have so many questions. Yeah, ask but, away. We, um, we can we can go. I, no maybe problem. you can comment. I know you and I have had this conversation uh, before. Um, in in you commented. <laughs> the differences between the American prison system and um, Canadian prisons. If you could speak to, to that a little bit and uh, whether or not it was difficult for you to get, get back here. So in terms of the two uh, prison system, jail systems, uh, I, I obviously was in jail over there and then in prison over there and then I was in a prison over here and then a camp I, I didn't have to serve any jail time here uh, thankfully but over there um, uh, the jails like a turnstile over there and um, then in the prison system um, uh, well the food was was terrible in the US um, and the treatment that the uh, deportees because I was not a U.S. citizen. The treatment that I felt we received in the U.S. was worse than what we like. I received when I was in Canada. I felt like when I was at Joyceville um, and then when I went to Beaver Creek, I even though it wasn't home, and yes, I was happy to be in Canada, uh, but it just felt like there was just more care given to the um, uh, prisoner. Um, uh, in the U.S. side, there was no care. Uh, the food was terrible. There was maggots in the trays. Oh, no. Um, uh, there was, so that led me at times not to eat. Um, they the there was intentional antagonization um so that they could harm inmates um this is stuff that i i'd seen like i definitely made sure i stayed out of the way <laughs> because i was in another country and i was trying to transfer which we will talk about in a few minutes um transfer my sentence from us to canada but um Definitely, it was uh, the Canadian system was a lot more comforting and friendly. I mean, it, it obviously could be harsh, of course, but I feel like they there was a lot more care. Whereas in the U.S., especially being uh, you know um, deportee, uh, you know, or however they wanted to classify us, there was like zero, little to none care so that was that's one of the stark comparisons that stands out um the the lack of care and the the treatment that was given to the inmate compared to in canada like i can imagine the yeah. uh, deportees that are incarcerated in canada they would probably love the treatment that they get as opposed to being sent back to wherever they were their origin is like it's it's night and day not always but that's good canada is unique and it's care for inmates um that's a fact yeah. and that's why we have chaplaincy 
How did you get in touch with chaplaincy? Um, I got in touch with the chaplain. Um, so first of all, um, in the U.S., uh, there was like so in the jail system. I guess at the time I um, I reverted back in the jail system. That's an unfortunate way to revert back to God. But I reverted back because, you know, unfortunately I was in trouble, which is what happens to a lot of people. They revert back when they hit a rock. And um, uh, in the uh, jail system there, they had, uh, I guess, in the ranges that I was in, they had every range had an inmate who was r respectful of God. So they used to have like Bible study or Quranic classes or um, mainly those two. Um, and, you know, uh, Islam and Christianity from the book uh, derive essentially uh, very I respect both religions. Um, and yeah, you just revert back to faith and hope in a tough time. And uh, families there, um, but they're not. Um, the only one who's present all the time, I felt at that time, was God. So that's how it started uh, my, um, my channeling back to God, essentially. Because I just felt like, I felt like my life was over. That's that's how I felt at the time. It was just, um, and I needed I needed a way. I needed help in handling the circumstance because. Yeah, I, yeah sorry. Go ahead. No, I just I just want to say I just I I hope that um, you don't still feel any type of because you said unfortunately I reverted back then and I, I just hope you don't feel any shame over over that because um you know you were going through a tough time you're going through a tough time and 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 uh if you can't turn to god then then who can you turn to right and and god um i think is never never disappointed that somebody reverts back in hard times right when you think of the other types of hard times like um grief you know if somebody loses a loses a loved one and that get them to get closer to God we, we never question that and so I think we should have the same attitude towards folks who find themselves in a jail cell and turning to God we, nobody should ever look at that with anything less than wow you turned to him and that gave you strength and, uh, yeah it, it, it's just I did say unfortunately in the sense that um I when I think of it I feel disappointed because I was um brought up um, in a God-fearing home. And um, then everything as a teenager and, you know, as a 20-year-old in college or whatever, everything's going good. And you, you know, like, you don't think about God. You, you know, my mom would have to force me to go to church when I was in high school. And um, then... I get into trouble and I'm asking God to help me now. And I'm 
trying to talk to him, but why didn't I talk to him before, right? So it just, for me, it, it kind of, I felt disappointed in myself because you hear about stories like that and um, it doesn't weigh on you until you're in it. So mm-hmm. like part of the, part of this, the worry was like, we were talking about the transfer um, so I, I definitely applied for my transfer, um, and which is how I was able to transfer back to Canada. But the issues with that uh, was just it took a long time. So I was, you know, my wife was traveling down and bringing the kids so that we were able to maintain that relationship. Um, but it was hard and I was always thinking like, when is this going to end? Like, so I, I got sentenced to 52 months, uh, which is four years and four months. And if I did not get the transfer, then I would have to serve out my time. And that was, that was part of what made me revert back to God because every day the mail would come I'll be looking for a piece of letter from the Canadian government, which seemed like it took so long to come. And um, you could say that again. I I know of one brother who asked for international transfer and he's waiting for nine years. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this 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 stuff is very clear in my mind, so. Yeah, it was uh, the the transfer after I got approval from the Canadian government. Like the U.S. side approved you first, and I got that approval pretty quickly. They replied pretty quickly because they want to get me out of there. But the Canadian side took like nine months. So during that time, I was just waiting for nine months. And that's another point where I was asking God to, to help me withstand because I... I was, uh, I felt like I was, um, I felt like I was losing it. I felt like I was losing control because I was, I'm very um, even tempered and I felt like my temper was getting short, which would put me in um, tough situations. And I, I didn't want to be in a tough situation in there. I didn't want to show any vulnerability in there, but it's hard, it's tough. So yeah. But you got through it and you came home. And then you stayed. Yeah. You want to yeah. talk about that a little bit? What was what was coming home? Like you so you you came and you did a little bit more time in, in Kingston and then you went to, to Gravenhurst and then you landed in Toronto and we met. Yeah. Um, what was that like coming coming home? I know you mentioned that your wife um, visited you and your daughter, but what what was that like being away and then Coming home. That's- yeah. So first, the you get your approval. You know, uh, you know, you have you have an end date, like an official end date, and you have light at the end of the tunnel. Then we have the commute from the U.S. to Canada. Um, so you're making stops on your route, and I stopped in several maximum facilities, uh, maximum security facilities, which was um, another story in itself. 
because I saw a lot. The last stop was up in upstate New York in Syracuse, and um, um, we traveled right through a, a race war. Um, they drove you? They didn't just put you on a plane and send you back to Canada? They actually drove you? They drove us from spot. We were in Pennsylvania, and they drove us from Pennsylvania to um, another part of Pennsylvania. Then from there to... To, I think we flew once. Um, I, I can't remember exactly, but there was a lot of driving and there was one flight. I just remember that now. Uh, we ended up in upstate New York and that last nine day stop was where I was like, am I going to get across this border or not? Because they were in a lockdown in a race where um, finally we made it across. And then, so my family was visiting me in the States. Um, my wife would drive down to Pennsylvania, I would say, twice a month. Uh, so that really helped in the transition. But obviously, when I was transferred to Kingston and then to um, Beaver Creek, uh, they were like the visits were obviously a lot better. And um, yeah, and then after um applying for full parole uh with a lot of reference letters uh like i was telling abib today um when they passed the judgment on my here at my hearing they said that i they're granting me full parole so i was happy and then five minutes later like i was not happy i was like elated and then five minutes later and they said no sorry it was day parole and you know i then was deflated i was crying i was just crushed and uh, they said sorry they made a mistake but they can't grant me uh day per full parole yet because the house that i left and got into trouble is the same house that i'm going back to so um they gave me day parole and then like i think two weeks after being granted day parole i was um i was uh sent downtown to to you <laughs> and um then awesome going home yeah the going home part was was amazing and deflating all in the same breath because you were able to go home for a couple of hours and then you had to leave and my kids didn't understand why I was leaving. Um, and then come back in the day, it was like, that was a job. I just go there and then come back home. So uh, it was a bit tough and there was a lot of um, uh, figuring out that had to be done between me and my wife and the family because I hadn't been there. You know, I played a role, I would spend all my money on phone calls trying to still be involved, um, trying to still be a, a parent, a father, but um, you know, it's a lot different when you were there. So there was a lot of transition and struggle, but obviously that's to be expected, I guess. And um, we made it through that uh, with flying colors. Um, definitely with the help. And your daughter of, uh, has done exceptionally well. Yes. Uh, well, she's working on that. She's trying to secure 
her scholarship right now. She's got a few, uh, some interest, I should say, uh, US-wise, but um, they're both doing well. They both transitioned well for me coming back home. And, uh, you know, it's been a seamless transition, essentially. Do Thank you to my wife for bringing them down to keep me in their memory. Good. I think we have to close off now, but before I invite Julian to give some reflection, imagine you're talking to a GT banner right now. What would you say to him if he's getting into trouble? <laughs> uh, I, if he's in trouble or he's about to get into it. Both. Uh, just to think twice. Um, you know, uh, some people think it's uh, popular or, or you gain stripes and it's it's a it's a happy thing to be incarcerated. Uh, it's a good thing, um, especially the younger kids. And I would say that uh, that it's very important for you to think about your think about the ramifications. Think about the uh, ramifications before you get involved with stuff. And and that's where my issue was because I don't think I weighed the ramifications, which I had said earlier. So that's what I would say. Uh, if you're if you think you can handle those ramifications, if you think you can be comfortable being kept away from your family for months and months or years and years at a time, and you can easily just block that off and forget it, then I wish you luck. But otherwise, no, I, I just really think about the ramifications before you get involved in anything. Yeah, I think it's, um, thank you for sharing with us your, your story because it's, um, you know, like you said, things were going good. Like you had a good life. It is somebody that you knew a long time. Like this is not just, you know, some stranger that you met or something. Or somebody that no, he's a brother of mine. Uh, like he's a brother. Yeah. He's a good, and you guys uh, were just, having fun, right? And uh, you probably didn't think you were going to get caught. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of what it boils down to. It's so like, like what you said about the ramifications, not thinking about, the ramifications and and uh, I would circle back to what you said about how there being signs and not trusting your gut and like those little whisperings and, and kind of ignore them but I think we can all do that sometimes right we get we get tempted or distracted um and we kind of lose our way and it's uh it's it's sometimes hard to find our way back but I think the one thing about your story that really stands out to me is just the 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 strength of your your family really like that you had people rooting for you on the outside and that sounds like that helped get yeah. you through and helped give you something to work for whenever you got out i remember whenever we first met like you did not waste any time sitting around doing nothing you were like i i owe my family everything and i'm going to do everything that i can to to get out of gear as quickly as possible is pretty much i think what the gist of what you said in our first conversation and you, and, you yeah. and um one thing that i remember even whenever you when you finally when the day did come for you to leave you took time to talk to not just me but other staff members and and told us told us that you appreciated our help and well i, I like, did how much did i really help you like you you're <laughs> such an articulate person and you presented well and even whenever you came in to like do your resume sometimes I literally have to almost write a resume for someone you came in with a resume and basically just I just had to look and make sure all the t's were crossed and here you are thanking me so 
I just, I thank you for your um, humility and your, and your gratitude because um, it's, it's not something that you see every day. And so I know that that's probably why your wife stuck by you and why your daughters are such the lovely young ladies that they are is because, okay, fine. You made a bad decision, but you, you're a man of integrity and character. So. Yeah, I try to be. And uh, you guys, um, you, you help me stay grounded and, and understand that there, you know, there's going to be brighter days. So that's, and that's all you preached the positivity and uh, understanding uh, the, you know, the trials, but learning how to defeat them. And uh, they are defeatable. And um, we can all make it from a bad situation. And um, we can, we can, we can survive and then thrive, right? So that's what you helped me with. And I keep forgetting her name, but I, I want to give her a shout out. Uh, you know, Margaret, Margaret, Margaret is amazing. You two were amazing. And that's why I've Maintain contact because you guys helped me, and she helped me by being patient with me to find the right fit for me uh, occupationally. And um, uh, I thank you guys both for your time today. Um, but yes, definitely, Julianne, I thank you for keeping in touch and just uh, making you. the bond. The bond was real. So yeah. Thank you. Hey, one love, right? One love. Yeah, yeah. One love. That's what it's called. Wow. One love podcast. That's an awesome seg segue. It's awesome. <laughs> so we will chat after I close the recording. Uh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been fortunate to have with us this evening, Chaplain Julianne Martin, co-hosting and uh, listening, sharing and dissecting and even uh, joking about uh, things uh, of C, who has spent time inside and now he's doing very well outside an inspiration to others. I hope we catch you again. And I just want to shout out as well, it's uh, Lincoln Alexander, the Honorable Late Lincoln Alexander. It is his um, birthday day on the 21st of January, which is Friday. Lincoln Alexander was one of the very first Black Canadians to enter politics, became the Attorney General and um, fought racism in this country. It's one of the top uh, remembered Ontarians um, from Hamilton. So hopefully we will catch you again another time. Mm -hmm. um, thank you everybody. Stay safe and uh, make sure make sure you tell the people in your life that you love them. 100%.